everyone, and welcome to a further episode of Opening Up Chaplaincy. So I'm Stig Graham, a retired Anglican priest and chaplain, and I'm here with my colleague, Joe. Uh, hi, I'm Joe, and I'm a uh, pastoral carer from a humanist perspective. I uh, just wanted to say a quick thank you to the responses we've had to the podcast last week, which was on chaplaincy and prayer. Uh, I, I, I really appreciated that uh, someone who'd listened to it, who's not actually a chaplain, um, said how accessible it was and how it made her think of chaplaincy in quite a different way. So that's sort of what we're trying to do. Mm, excellent. Excellent. So today we rather thought we'd follow up on the line of how do chaplains and chaplains get involved in the first place um <laughs> when do you call the chaplain as opposed <laughs> to anybody else yeah. um in, in in my own context in the the hospice we we were referred to as being ubiquitous in as much that we seem to get in everywhere uh and although we were called in we weren't we were often just on hand mm -hmm. so it was it was a much more natural process but that it was a, a small compact uh, hospice uh, where the dynamics are different it'd be a bit different for you i imagine joe what in the the health service Def definitely different in a in an acute setting the staff often really are the gatekeepers mm. so you you you're called in um definitely when there's a death is often or an upcoming death that's often when people from chaplaincy are called and I think at those times we're often called because the staff need us as much as the patient does um, so I think that's that's a time when we're sort of a default setting or when we're we're often called but I want to push back on that a little bit because I think there's a lot of staff who associate us with death and think that if someone's dying or at end of life, then the chaplain is the person to call. And, and, and I think that's not necessarily the case. And we do loads of other things mm -hmm. and have yeah. loads of other conversations which are not death related at all, especially in acute care. You're having a lot of conversations about changes in circumstances and people getting to know mm -hmm. themselves in a new context. Yeah. So I just wanted to push back at that and just just talk a little bit about these staff as gatekeepers mm. and how we might change that I think you're right in a hospice death is much more spoken about and much more it's sort of like a normal part of the mm. setup of the place um, in acute care I mean it was different in COVID for a lot of wards I think where they saw a lot more death than they were used to in the last two years but it's, it's not such a regular occurrence. Mm. And it, um, and the other thing I think we can talk about, I don't want to, don't want to do all the talking at the beginning, but I'm just sort of planting a few seeds, I think, is, um, you know, because we're very interested in diversity. Mm. I think staff often need support as well at that time. And they call the chaplain, not just for one religion, but for advice on all the other customs and traditions around, around yeah. death. Yeah. So I think there's lots for us to explore, Stig. I don't yeah. know if you want to pick up on anything there. Uh, yeah, well, the, the, you've introduced a, a lot of concepts. And I, and I think actually the, the, the idea of staff, uh, and particularly the nursing staff being gatekeepers, 
it can be both a positive and a negative where you have staff who got to know and trust the chaplains then they can be very much more positive in the way they present the request to the the patient you know you might mm. like to as a, you might like to have a chat with our chaplain you know she's mm. lovely um as opposed to oh you won't want to see the chaplain <laughs> oh you're you're an atheist you won't want to see the chaplain you know? i think that happens a lot actually yeah. and i think um you know staff are not necessarily aware of how their own worldview might mm. affect whether they recommend people yeah. or not yeah. Um, and I think that's 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 a note of caution to everybody. I think if that happens, because the you know the opposite can be true that someone who's who's very devoutly Christian and and wants yeah. to look after their patients from that perspective, yeah, yeah, will want someone to come and perhaps say prayers at a bedside. Yeah, yeah. But but if that happened to me and I was the patient in the bed, that would be very <laughs> very disturbing for me yeah. at a time when I wanted peace. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've got to have uh, staff who actually can reassure uh, the atheist that actually, no, they're not going to come and be prayed over or mm. um, or tried to be converted. Um, <laughs> I just made, made me think they're about being prayed on rather than being prayed over. Pray yeah, yes. prayed at, prayed <laughs> at, uh, yeah. Um, and, and certainly I, I've, I've sort of picked up those kind of vibes uh, myself uh, as well. Um, but he, of course, it's not just the um, staff uh, and, and the patients who have these ideas about chaplaincy, um, and that it must be death. I, I, I do remember it, everything stacked up. I just finished a, a service, so I actually had my black cassock on uh, in the in the chapel, and. Uh, one of the nurses came in oh someone's just been referred back from the hospital she's in you know uh, she, she says she wants to speak to you and it's urgent and, uh, and it was sort of an emergency kind of a, a situation so I'm thinking oh my goodness so I, I went straight off down there I knew her well enough she used to come to the services so it never crossed my mind that I was still wearing the cassock particularly um, and, and indeed she wasn't bothered at all um, as it turned out, the hospital had just decided there wasn't anything they could do. So they just sent her back to, to the hospice. But the word had gone out and this anxiety and gradually, one by one, the uh, the family kept turning up because they'd been getting the phone, the phone call. Oh, you know, mom's back in the hospice. And uh, and every single one of them <laughs> walked in, saw me in the black cassock and just, oh, no, no, yeah. is it that bad? Uh, their first assumption, I was there. We were having a lovely chat, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. Um, I think that's very true in acute care as well. So, you know, you've got people in hospital for all sorts of reasons. And I pretty regularly for all of us, you fetch up and you say, oh, I'm from chaplaincy or spiritual care. And people say, oh, you're bringing bad news. And there's <laughs> yeah. this immediate panic mm. because people think the chaplain has been sent to break bad news yes, or yes. to deal with a difficult situation. And I've had that happen. It happens regularly. Yep, so you have yep. to then say that you're not coming for that reason. And yep. so there's a little bit of explaining yep. that needs to go on to calm people's nerves. Yep. But that is that automatic connection, isn't chaplain and death are connected. Therefore, if the chaplain comes to talk to you, 
you're going to die, you know. Yeah, and that's right. If you're a state of anxiety around a diagnosis or, um, you know, changing circumstances, you don't need that fear. No, exactly. <laughs> and uh, ironically, it goes back to this thing about being able to build relationships, because if you're with patients sufficiently that they begin to know and trust you, you know, I, I, I always remember one patient uh, I went in, I popped my head around the door and I had this huge beaming smile. And uh, I said, well, that's a, that's a lovely welcome. Uh, and she said, well, yes, Dig, but the thing is when you come through, through the door, I know you're the one person who isn't going to do anything to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what a kind of reversal of, of expectation, but that can only come about when you've had a chance to build relationships. So, well, that, but that in acute care is really difficult. Yes. So, exactly. you know, the average stay in hospital, I think, is two days. Yeah. So you're not going to see the same person probably from one shift to another shift. You might do. Yeah. Yeah. You have some continuity within the team, hopefully. But, but uh, yeah, that relationship building has to be immediate. You have to get yeah. all that across. Yeah, yeah in that first few minutes of the conversation to to calm people and to open the door to a conversation i always say you, you <laughs> that we're the one person that people can say get lost and go away to yeah. because we're yeah. not going to do anything we don't need anything from them we're not going to do anything to them no, no. so i often say to people i'm the one person you because you know when people say oh i'm really sorry i don't mm. want to talk to you there's mm. no apology necessary you know yeah yeah and then of course you actually get the, the the response oh well in that case you can sit down yeah yeah <laughs> you know because actually it's this business of um the, the the patient or whoever we're with holding the power having the the control yeah, yeah. Know, we are the subservient one exactly yeah. i think the other the other thing going back to this gatekeeper idea and and the staff referring uh, patients to us for conversations um a, a, a way of counteracting that is to be on the wards and do the sort of general mm. ward visiting where you drop by on people mm. and I always I've learned now I go up and say you know I'm from spiritual care I'm from chaplaincy when I go and first mm. report on the ward but then I say is there anyone who's sad lonely or worried mm -hmm. Because again, often when I ask people, should I see anyone today or do you think there's anyone who'd benefit from a visit? They are thinking who's religious on the ward. Yes. Or they're thinking who likes to have a chat that we don't have time to chat to. Mm. And those are often the criteria mm. for referring us to a patient. What I find once I say anyone sad, lonely or worried, mm. People think of it in a different way and will refer me to different patients as a consequence. Yeah, that, that's a really useful question. You know, the um, just to to lay out in, for the for the staff, yeah, the kind of remit of who you're happy to talk to. And it can it can be surprising, uh, you know, just to go back to your uh, suggestion about staff having or confusing their own personal worldview mm. with actually um the the needs of the people and what services are available to them mm. yeah yeah and how about going back to discuss a bit more this this idea of um us being experts to staff or having sort of 
being able to guide staff around different beliefs mm. because I mean where else does staff ask for that expertise they may have it within their ranks if they've mm. got a diverse workforce but um, where do they ask for advice about a Muslim patient who's about to die or a Buddhist who's about to yeah. die I think as well I, I think the important thing is, is with those kind of questions is to try to give confidence so that people can also be up for nuance mm. so that uh, just because a, a patient is a Muslim, they may not want necessarily to have their bed turned towards Kibra, but it might, it might be something yeah. that they would like. Yeah. Uh, and therefore to approach it. And uh, sometimes by being too convinced of the outcome, you know, this is what people will want. They are a Christian. They will want. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always uh, uh, apply at, uh, at all. Um, you know, some faiths can be very it could be very problematic about being nursed by uh, a woman or mm. you know the the death opposite one. gender yeah you know um yeah exactly and so it's um it, it's about actually encouraging people just to ask the question mm. rather than sort of think this is what they will want mm. Mm. so what and what other ways could we get people to call the chaplain <laughs> um in a broader sense not just around death so what other ways do you think we could well, spread the understanding of that yeah well again i'm always conscious of coming from compared to a, a large hospital the the hospice is a very cozy environment where you can get known but actually one thing that you perhaps uh, could extrapolate is I often used to find that when we were scratching our heads as to what was going on, as a, well, I say we as a multidisciplinary team, uh, I would sometimes be asked, see if you can go and have a chat, Stig, and find out what is really going on, because things didn't seem to hang together. Um, you know, so yes, uh, there, there were a few situations um very often it actually emerged that a patient was confused about something mm. um I, I, I mean there was one gentleman who everything else was perfectly normal but as soon as we started talking about discharge he was you know almost in a state of terror you know went beyond mm. anxiety mm. and it, it turned out that for some reason, he'd got it into his head that when he was discharged, he was going to be discharged, not home, but direct to the crematorium. Oh. You know, and, yeah. and it's such a bizarre, you know, but, and I, I confess, I'd been talking to him going round and round in circles for about 30 minutes before mm. the penny actually dropped, mm. not because it hadn't occurred to me, but just I couldn't believe it. <laughs> You know, and I, I was sort of thinking, no, Steve, you've got this wrong. Until finally, I asked him the direct question, and he said, "Yeah, that's exactly it." So, there's times when having that time and space to um, explore, it, to yeah. explore, you know, yeah, I, that resonates for me very much. You know, because the other job I do is the mental health trust, 
um, with um, elderly people who are in various states of confusion for different reasons. And as you say, spending time with people to work out the mysteries of their mm. thought process on that day, yeah. you don't necessarily know where the conversation's going. Mm. But we have the time to be present with people mm. in that way, I think. Mm. Um, and I think often we don't know what, what we're extrapolating, what we're finding out may be significant. Mm. I think that's that's something that I've become aware of that you in amongst the whole conversation you might hear something which is actually quite significant for their treatment mm. Mm. um so I think chaplains or spiritual care practitioners are have a different role within mental health as well I'm, I'm really excited because we've got um Adette Douglas from Northamptonshire Healthcare Trust who's agreed to come and join us on a podcast in the future and I think it'll be really interesting to talk with her about what spiritual care means in a mental health context. Mm, mm, yeah, I, I think really this, this is what we're uncovering as part of our discussion, just mm. how vast and diverse um, medical health care is and the mm. range of spiritual support that can be put in place mm. for, for people. Um, I'm just thinking of another context where yeah. call call the chaplain happens um, uh, in acute care, or uh, I've seen it happen very effectively. Is when there's dispute or when there's a situation which could escalate. Mm. So there's been a yes. lot of work at Bradford done with the security and um, community police officers who are part of the hospital setup, where bringing a chaplain in on the um, difficult situation can it can really improve things very quickly mm. and without anything escalating so um that's also another case where that's not the traditional call the chaplain role no. but it's very much become part of yeah. how things operate in the trust now and i think that's a really positive yeah. thing we we also had situations where um, we were asked to provide a sort of safeguarding role um, where the patient was vulnerable and perhaps visitors to the patient that they wanted to see um, couldn't be relied on, shall we say, yeah. to, to behave appropriately. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I think we have that kind of flexibility of, of role. But there's also something there about neutrality and trustworthiness mm. and objectivity well it's just very interesting you know how be interesting to do some I'm just thinking that'd be really interesting to do a poll of staff mm. to find out who they think chaplains are and what they do mm. Mm. um yeah that'd be very interesting yeah yeah it'd be quite difficult uh, for I think for some people to pin down you know yeah. you, you would need to be multiple choice check check all that apply perhaps yeah uh but yeah <laughs> the, the other interesting thing is is of course the resources that uh we have in as much that we were talking the other week about our um, sanctuaries and uh mm. tranquility room mm. um um i i have known some consultants who uh, would ask could they use the sanctuary to hold a meeting in particularly where it was a family 
uh, and just to get someone so they were sat, there was no tables, there was no desks. Um, so they, they were just sat in, in, a, in an, a chance to sit in an open circle. Mm. But there was also something about that setting that somehow eased the, 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 the tension or at least enabled people to find inner resources to talk uh, less disrespectfully to each other than they had been in other settings. Um, mm. You know, to that element, you know, this was a, in a secular sense, a sacred space, mm. you know, that needed to be respected. I, 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 I don't know, I never understood it, but I could see that it worked. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's triggered me to think of, again, some wise words of a colleague who said, uh, our job is to bring a cloak of calm. Yes. To the situation whatever yes. situation it is we come in with calmness and without the need to solve the situation or to manage the situation yeah. and I think that's a different different approach is it I think people feel that difference probably yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's I think that comes back to this idea that we've sort of touched on several times which is that we're not necessarily there. Well, we're not there to provide answers. We're there to mm -hmm. help people find their own answers. But actually, the whole process means that nobody is obliged to find an answer. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps it's the recognition that there isn't one and therefore mm -hmm. just sitting and holding that situation, uh, that there's no nice, neat answer. But at least people can feel that they're difficult circumstances being recognized heard listened to mm -hmm. so i think you're winding up here stig in terms of our conversation <laughs> today around hopefully opening people's minds a bit about when you call the chaplain or the spiritual mm -hmm. carer it could be for a variety of reasons yeah. yeah we can have we can bring that cloak of calm to all sorts yeah. of situations, be present with people, listen, um, maybe at times have a sort of mediating or um, safeguarding role, like you've said. Mm. Um, but hopefully people will think more widely, whether patients or staff, about how we can actually contribute. Yeah. Having said that, we, we should wind up we actually what we haven't really addressed is what we do bring when we are called in to a death kind of a situation yeah that's true perhaps that's another <laughs> podcast <I think. laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh because um i mean of course in, in a hospice uh, that was a, a, a perhaps more routine in some ways and yet um i know uh chaplains in in hospitals particularly um in the you know, neonatal kind of mm. setting um would often have difficult funerals uh, mm. to 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 handle um but the but again i think there is something about bringing that calm and an opportunity to to reflect if the family are gathered uh whether it would be me or you whether there's a religious element or or not just a simple reflection on somebody's mm. life can bring so much calm and, mm. and peace and, and good memories mm. uh, of that dying 
for, mm. for families. Mm. Definitely. And in our hospital, that's uh, it's very different from a hospice. It can be, be feel quite brutal in a way, mm. a death um, sometimes and quite um, anonymous. So I think to to recognize the individuality and the uniqueness mm. of the person who's who's died is is really important in that situation. That's right. Um, and uh, and of course the other setting that I, although where I was actually called into the hospital because um, they were about to turn off uh, the life support machines um, and just to be with, with the family and just to guide that. I think. I think perhaps that's a, another thing that chaplains can bring in that moment, of course, is that sense of ritual, mm. you know, that we're, mm. we're walking through this process. These are the, mm. uh, so we can let people know what's going to happen. We can actually do it with them and then allow them to reflect on it mm. afterwards. And uh, it, it is one of those you know, things uh, where people do say, oh, you know, how can you do that? But I think if, if you're a, a chaplain, you, you've got to be able to do it out of, uh, out of love for what you do. It's got yeah. to be able to feed you in, in yeah. some way. So no matter how challenging it all is, mm. um, at the end of the day, you, we, we need to walk away feeling that we've made a difference. Yeah, yeah. And it might be a moment in your working day, but it's a huge moment for those oh, people yeah. Yeah. Um, in their lives, isn't it? And um, I thought that's the thing I feel is, is, is if we can help in those incredibly um, challenging moments in people's lives, then we've done our job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And that probably is a nice place to finish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah we we, we covered quite a, uh, a bit um we do i do often feel we're quite discursive yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, i'm not sure we're always 100 on topic but uh, <laughs> but but on the other hand that is the nature of chaplains and chaplaincy i think you know we we do chaplains have an amazing ability to make connections i think that's another gift that yeah. And I think also what we're, we're modeling, Stig, is, is this discussion is an important part of being a chaplain. Mm. And I think, you know, there are some chaplains who work in very small teams or very uh, one, one faith teams mm. who um, maybe don't have this chance to have a discussion across beliefs and yes, yes. Uh, to stand back and reflect on this. We're not at work, are we, when we're doing this? So we're having no. this slightly informal chat knowing that we haven't got to go and see someone or to re go to a meeting. It's, it's a different feeling. Mm. And um, yeah, we're lucky to be able to do it, I think, but hopefully it's helpful to others. Yes. Yes. I think that would be my worst nightmare to be isolated like that. Yeah. Where, where do I take stuff? And it made a huge difference to me because for about 10 years, I was on my own at the hospice. Uh, I, I had volunteers, mm. but when I actually had my first paid professional chaplain colleague mm. uh it was transformative mm. you know because
because he, I, I always had somebody on hand that I, I could have a nuanced conversation mm. with. Mm. Um, and there are quite a number of chaplains, even in a hospital, actually, you know, where if you're all doing part time, how often do you get the chance to sit down and be together? Yeah. And just ruminate over yeah. situations. Yeah. So on the other hand, we might be blowing ever so much wind up our own extremities. <laughs> if that's what if that's what you feel, do do get in touch with us. I, I hope you've gathered. We really love it when we get a, an email or response. Uh, we haven't quite got to the uh, stage of ringing each other up to say, "Oh, have you seen? We've had an email." <laughs> but but yes, do and, and do express your your views. You know, do if you feel. We want diversity, and that means we have to be very equally pleased to have you disagree with us as agree with us. So please do let us have your thoughts uh, on that. You can email us on uh, openupchap at gmail.com, and we would very much like to, uh, to hear from you. And also, if you want to volunteer and join us in one of our windy conversations then you're very welcome to come and join our join us yeah yeah the 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 more the more the merrier no doubt about that <laughs> so uh yeah and and of course you don't even have to to respond to what we're saying if you really feel you've got something that you would like to share because it hasn't been touched on you know we especially want to, to hear from you so I think that's a good place to say goodbye. So from me, Stig, I uh, look forward to uh, our next episode, our next chat, Joe, and looking forward to hearing from anyone who's listening to us. Yeah, goodbye then. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.